0: Hey friends, before the show, I'd like to plug the store of our friends at Terracotta Distribution. At their storefront, shop com. You'll find a wide range of Asian DVDs and Blu-rays from Kim Kidak to Jackie Chan from Ho Shen to Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell aka The Japanese Evil Dead. This was even put out on a limited run VHS, folks. New titles are being added regularly and if you go to shop.terracottadistribution.com and enter the discount code POFN 10. That's POFN10. This gives podcast on Fire Network listeners 10% off at checkout. The discount code is POFN10. And visit shop.terracotta distribution.com for more. And let's get on with the show. Welcome to a podcast on fire on election two and the fun, the luck, and the tycoon. It's tried election time again, as orchestrated by Johnny Toe and with Big Tony out of the way. It's now Simon Yam versus Lewis Koo in election two, electric Booga Koo, if you will. <laughs> uh, also free of any scenes of feeding human meat to dogs. And essentially I picked the other movie so we can talk of the lighter side of Johnny Toe because that existed and it only pops up every now and again. We go back to the 1990 comedy The Thunderluck in the Tycoon starring Chai and Fat. It's coming to America. Hong Kong style. Those reviews are coming up. My name is Kenny Bia with me since he was doing the election review and uh, I wanted to complete uh, the two movie coverage and also I value his perspective and know-how and regardless and I'm happy to talk with him. And it is East Green West Green's Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: Hey there, Ken. How are
0: you doing? It's very good. Very good. And what people want to know, we discussed this last time, sort of saying it's not happening. What do you think the status is for election free? Because people ask almost as frequently, where's election free? And when's Jackie Chan, Samohong, Hong, and you going to do dragons forever again? And I'm like, <laughs> neither is going to happen, I think. Well, what do you think? Uh, looking at the world as it is today, can you make an election free in China? Or you have to do it strictly Hong Kong nowadays?
1: Well, now even if you make it in Hong Kong, Johnny To might get arrested because you know now we're under we're in national security law, Hong mm. Kong. You know, we're saying anything that's critical of the administration uh, he, either here or in China can get you um, arrested for subversion. So, yeah, I I think that Johnny To, when he makes election three, he's going to sell off his building <laughs> because he owns the entire building in in Quintang, and then he's going to move to Taiwan. Run, and then he yeah, and then he's going to well, or, or he's going to finish election three sell the entire building sell the whole company move to Taiwan and say I'm never coming back and I'm retiring from film- filmmaking and that's it that that would be the only reason Election 3 is ever going to come unless Election 3 is going to be free of politics and by then there's no reason to see Election Free anyway
0: do you remember if it was ever on the calls of like, I think I'm going to shoot it next year. Uh, uh, you know, if we go back like 10 years, do you think Johnny has ever said that? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of it and I want to do it. Or it, it or This is all has always been rumor mill, but not from Johnny or Milky Way themselves.
1: No, no, he's teased it multiple times. He's always teasing it. He's always like, yeah, I'm going to make election three. Ha <laughs> I want to make election three. I don't think he gave like a definite. I, I don't think he gave like a direct or like a sp- explicit date where oh I'm gonna deliver it by this time. No, it's not like that. I I think he always kind of teased it because that's how Milky Way works anyway. Milky Way is like oh we're gonna start shooting something. We shoot a couple of scenes and then we shoot a couple of scenes here and there. And there's no real plan when it's up when it becomes you know films that are you know these are um, Johnny Toe's passion projects or or pet projects. You know if it's like a commercial film then of course he would say yeah I'm gonna have to deliver this because I have investors and everything. But for film my election well it's like well i can make it i can start making it whenever i want or i can just not do it so so it's it's pretty free jazz over there at milky way when it comes to these projects so i mean he could tease it all the time i'm sure he's thinking about it
0: yeah for some reason also like uh andy Lau has made a cost list so someone has teased that andy Lau might do it so people are salivating because of that too
1: Yeah, no, i hope no one wait, wait, is that a thing i've never heard of that one
0: he was at one point on, like, a cost list, maybe on, temporarily on HKMDB. Or Obviously, that's not an official
1: list at all. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's never going to happen. <laughs> that's only, again, if Andy Lau decides to move all of his um, uh, assets out of mainland China to Taiwan, and then he sells everything in Hong Kong, and they say, so long, suckers, and then he flies to Taiwan and makes election free via Zoom. That's the only way it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, well, uh, the tried election guys need to be uh, modern as well. So, um, you know, that's the cheapest movie you can shoot nowadays. Uh, uh, That's how certain horror movies have happened in the last few years taking place over skype only now uh, they do um they, i mean there's even a horror movie that uh, they promoted as the first movie to be shot on zoom but uh marketing is marketing so that gets you somewhere anyway let's uh, get the show on the road with some brief contact information uh, so first of all uh, this is podcast on fire on the podcast on fire network and we talk uh, hong kong cinema new and old uh, every now and again we venture into mainland chinese cinema because our uh, favorite uh, directors and stars do work in in the mainland so uh, for better or worse we check out some movies from over there as well and for the back catalogue of uh, our uh, movie reviews including the first review we did uh for the first election movie, uh, check out uh, the archive over on our website or search out Podcast on Fire election on, election on your favorite podcast app and all that good stuff. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, your opinion on the election series, the two of them, uh, check out us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and so forth. E- email us at fire at googlemail.com. And uh, if you want to interact with us uh, the most sort of directly, I suppose the most active uh, hub of it all is our facebook group called podcast on fire network so feel free to join to follow discussion and show updates and i write about a variety of uh, hong kong and taiwanese uh, movies over on my site so good reviews.com and i tweet over at, at so good reviews kevin despite this uh, uh these uh, pandemic uh, days um you you have some ions in the fire you know you're not completely bored out of your skull Uh, you got some work you work brewing some work that's even been released during 2020
1: Yes, yes. I'm, well, fortunately, I do have some work. Uh, Hong Kong International Film Festival catalog, um, Hong Kong Asian Film Festival catalog. There's a Hong Kong Film Critics Society program that comes with, a, of course, a catalog. Also, got some films that I've subtitled that are coming out in the second half of the year. For example, we have Hand Roll Cigarettes, um, which is the new first film initiative film. Um, it's directed by a young actor turned director, uh, it stars Gordon Lamb. And that film is mo- um, nominated for multiple Golden Horse Awards. It's also the closing film of the Golden Horse uh, Festival, as well as the opening film of the Hong Kong uh, Asian Film Festival. And I have a feeling that it's going to travel quite far for the next year or so. Many of the genre festivals, I think, we will take a look at it.
0: Tell the kids about the short movie project involving uh, all your favorite directors, essentially.
1: Yes, Septet. Septet, Hong Kong Story. This is the omnibus film. It's headed by uh, Johnny Toast Milk image productions uh in fact that's why i spent way more times at milky way than i than i expected ever in my lifetime this year i i've spent like like at least several days
0: going to milky way again
1: i know yeah <laughs> pretty much it's, it's like that yeah going up to milky way and just sitting in the office and seeing directors seeing johnny toe pass by my no actually i've never seen johnny toe at at the actual office you
0: can probably sm- smell him by the cigar smoke coming into the building
1: well, I did see him because I went to, well, okay, the, the film is an omnibus with um, short films by seven veteran Hong Kong directors, Anhui, uh Johnny To, of course, um, Patrick Tam, um, I'm counting off here, Ringo Lam, uh, fortunately, this is last film, Trey Hark, Sammo, and Yuen wo And I went to the screening, the final screening of the finished uh english subtitle only version because they made a festival version that only has english subtitles and then they wanted me to go do walk into the, the theater like we all sat in the theater that's in the post-production company and i walked in and then there they were there was patrick tam yun wo ping uh sammo johnny and and way trey Hawk wasn't there and of course ringo isn't here and there, there are five of them sitting there and i'm, I'm
0: just gonna say over here guys i'm not gonna talk to any of you yep. guys okay
1: <laughs> yeah well i i i got to because it's a very small theater it's like a 40 seat theater and i sat pretty much like one seat away from your more pain Well, i sat like one seat one seat separated between us because you know social distancing but yeah i mean, i sat in this literally like 10 5 feet away from your more pain
0: been a minute and, uh, since we've heard anything from uh, patrick tam he's the master of taking breaks from um from film so
1: well he teaches
0: yeah, I do remember he 's got a proper job, so uh, yeah, <laughs> so it so 's like he uh, went on a hiatus between one thousand nine hundred and eighty nine and when was after this our exile two thousand and six well sake like is the same year as election two um, and then um, and then i don 't think he's done anything, um, at least not feature movies, and then now he 's doing this short film
1: so so yeah, that film is the opening film of the Busan International Film Festival. At the time recording, that's happening very soon. And then it's going to play at the Tokyo Filmex. Um, I believe it's playing in France, maybe, I think. I don't know. But the uh, also, it's the opening film for Five Flavors Film Festival over in Poland. So as you can tell, there are already quite a few festival interested in this film. It's also a official selection um, of the Cannes Film Festival this year, which didn't happen. But uh, yeah, that's traveling around. Um, I also did a Patrick Kong film named Calling of a Bus Driver, which should come out um these couple of months i don't think that's gonna get any fest play unfortunately
0: but <laughs> work is work is work my friend regardless how yep, yep. Uh, far it travels so, well i'm a, i i'm i'm so out of the loop uh, in terms of these things but the one movie during 2020 that i am sort of hooked into i'm gonna get as soon as it pops up and finally it's get, getting a home video release is uh, Sook Sook. the the elderly men romantic gay Drama, and that's yes. finally hitting disc in Hong Kong. Uh, it's being released as Twilight's Romance internationally because I think, unfortunately, when you put Suk Suk out and it's a gay romance, people are gonna be people, so they they probably retitled it for for that reason too.
1: Yeah, it's called Twilight Twilight's Kiss. I think Kiss. that's the, okay. the title. Yeah, but anyway, yes, I I worked on that film. Uh, also, my Prince Edward's coming on video soon. Both films I I, I worked on. So uh, yeah, go go check those out. Anyway, uh,
0: if you want to throw out some URLs to your uh, endeavors, I mean, the subtitle bi- subtitling business is a business, so therefore uh, you have a company. So uh, let the kids know uh, what the URL for the company is.
1: Yes, my company's name is Zakaten Media. Uh, it's me and renowned film critic Maggie Lee, uh, who is my dear friend. Um, she's also a programmer for several film festivals so um we started a company and we work together well we don't work together as in we just own this company together but she has her own jobs and i have my own jobs but yes please uh if you have any um subtitling needs chinese to english english to chinese whatever language we'll see what we can do with it come to uh, zakatenmedia.com uh where we do mostly film content so if it's film stuff that's even better z-a-k-k-a-t-e-n zakaten uh it's a japanese word um media uh, you can find us a uh, website at zakatenmedia.com. dot com. I'll spell Zakaten again: z a k k a t e n media. Zakatn media.
0: And uh, if you didn't listen properly, kids, uh, that link will be in the show post as well to Kevin's uh, company. So let's uh, take a music break and listen to a quite iconic music from uh, uh, the election series. Uh, I quite, 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 quite like it. And uh, after that, we're going to do a brief rundown of what's to come and uh, then we we'll start the show proper. So sit tight and we'll be right back. And welcome back, and uh, we have some brief sections here in this uh, episode, even though it's a simple episode. So uh, first, in the Election 2 uh, review section, we're going to talk of its uh, sort of box office reception, I suppose. Uh, we uh, I, I summarize some uh, notes from Johnny Toe based on the DVD interview he did when this was released on DVD back in the day. And then we'll review Election 2. After that, there will be a music break, and... Uh, The second half of the show will involve the johnny toe movie the fun the luck and the tycoon and essentially it's straight on to the review but i think we have some box office notes to share uh, minor ones just before so that's the the sort of gist of it all and the running times or timestamps will be available in the show post in case you want to navigate around the episode so here we go election two from 2006 and plot from the love hk film review of the film it's been two years Since Locke, Simon Yam, bested Big D, played by Tony Alon Kafei, for the chairperson seat of the Wu Sing Triad, and it's election time again. Locke has had a decent run, but tradition demands a new head take charge every two years. The candidates for Wu Sing's new chairperson include Kun, played by Gordon Lam, whose edginess and sense of entitlement recalls Big D's. And the still rabid Jet, played by Nick Cheung, who's only a candidate because Locke has fooled him into thinking he is one. Some people want Jimmy, played by Louis Koo, to run, but he's too busy making money with his pirate VCD factories to care. That suits Locke just fine, as revealed at the end of Election 1. Locke is more ambition and ambitious and blindly power-hungry than he initially seemed to be. Now that he's been in charge for two years, he's reluctant to let the seat go, and we mean really reluctant. However, the smart pick is still... Louis Q's uh, Jimmy, and uh, even um, he even has the support of uh, the uncles, uh, led by the returning uh, cast member Wong Tin Lam, Wong Jing's dad. Jimmy is adamant about uh, not entering the fray, but he does a double-take when his business prospects get uh, threatened, and this is where the mainland Chinese angle comes in. Chinese inspector Xi, played by Yu Yong, is polite but firm about barring Jimmy's businesses from the mainland. The implication being that Jimmy needs to have major rank in wu to gain pull with the party muckamucks. The threat of lost uh, greenbacks is enough to give Jimmy second thoughts and he throws his hat into the triad election uh, ring. And uh, Locke, Simon Young's character, is already convinced that he can be wu uh, chairperson for a second term and manipulates uh, Gordon Lamb's Kuhn and Nick Cheung's jet into helping support his bid. But Jimmy, Louis Ku is a smart guy Meaning he won't give in to uh, Locke's ambition and he definitely won't go fishing with the guy. Wink, wink, if you've seen election one. With the line drawn, each candidate squares off for a mano a mano election. Plan the double crosses and plenty of slow build up and plenty of slow burn build up follow as the triad heavyweights jockey for the lead. Ultimately, it becomes clear that there's uh, only one sure way to win the election kill the other guy. It opened in the spring of 2006, and the first opened in October the previous year, so you didn't have to wait 12 months to get your election uh, fix. Uh, It didn't gross as much as the first movie, but its uh, 13.5 million Hong Kong dollars uh, take, versus the 15 million or so of the first, made it the 7th highest-grossing film of 2006. Top 3 otherwise belonged to the Jet Li movie uh, Fearless, Jackie Chan's uh, Rob B. Hood and Confession of Pain. And uh, we like to do some box office analysis here, and I'm always curious. This was a category three movie, but it's also a Johnny Toe movie. It's got this stellar, recognizable cast, of course. Uh, what's your take on sort of uh, its performance versus the first? I mean, was it still good performance-wise uh, at the box office, despite being slightly lower than the first?
1: Well, Johnny Toe isn't really a box office draw the way that, say, a Christopher Nolan is or the way that a uh, if I don't remember any Hong Kong director that actually has a big big box office draw as a director. You know what I mean? Um, Maybe Jackie Chan, if you want to count him as a director, which he is. So 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 that's not really a factor. But. I mean, the first election was a, was a pretty big hit for what it was. It's a category three film. It's a triad drama. It's not even like an action film. There's no cool people with long hair. It's not young and dangerous, right? It's it's a bunch of middle-aged guys, you know, in... A...
0: Sitting still in darkly
1: lit rooms. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the first one was already kind of a, not a runaway hit, but already a, a bigger, bigger hit than expected. And the second film, and we're going to go into this soon, it's... Is that the second film? It's a slow burn. It's a slow film. You know, it's it's virtually an art film, practically an art film. It was the opening film of Hong Kong International Film Festival, which tells you what what kind of um what kind of positioning it was trying to be. Is not really a so called what a commercial film. Pretty much soon enough, people knew about why the film is category free. It's not because of triad rituals. It's because there are people being chopped and fed to dogs.
0: Just a sort of reversal compared to election one that just made it clear that. Um it didn't care about being category free. Johnny wanted to show the triad ceremony for a few minutes um, in that one. And that, as you informed us of uh, last episode, that gives you your free, whether you're violent or not. Uh, when you depict that forbidden ritual, if you will, then uh, then um, you got just precious free and it's 18 plus only and all of that. Triad ritual plays a little part in this one, but not a huge part. Uh, it's um, it's uh, quicker uh, versus... Um, the first one, you know.
1: Yeah. So so the number, uh, and I see, you know, thirteen point five million is not too bad. It's definitely not too bad for a category free film. It's it's hard for category free film even now to make that kind of money here in Hong Kong, whether it's a local film or not. Um, unless you know your name is Pang Ho Chen, you made a film that's category free because of foul language, and that that's a different deal altogether. Here, it's it's a again it's a slow burn triad drama of middle aged guys and. You know, Louis Koo was a was a was a popular star, but he wasn't you know that forty fifty million dollar grossing star yet at that point. I think it's an okay gross; it's not too bad. I mean, considering I'm 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 surprised it didn't even go lower.
0: Yeah, you never know when that sort of interest might wane. Um, you know, it has election already sort of fresh in people's memories, whether they liked it or not. So, you might not get that huge of an audience that might be curious about it, the main audience might be the ones who want to follow through on what happened in terms of its uh, performance during awards season uh, the first one had a grand old slam dunk of getting best film best director actor and screenplay at the hong kong film awards but the election two had to be content with a good chunk of nominations including f- uh, best picture and director screenplay supporting actor but that year was otherwise uh, the year for patrick tam's comeback movie after this our exile starring aaron Kwok. Mm-hmm. As it uh, won Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actor, Screenplay, and Best New Artist. Uh, best uh, Supporting Actor and Best New Artist was the same person, and, and uh, I might be butchering his name here, but the kid actor, uh, Gau, Ian Iskandar, he walked home with, with uh, two big boy statues uh, that evening for his uh, performance in um, in that film. You don't hear about that in like uh, you, at the Academy Awards that you can win two. Acting awards uh, uh, in that uh, way. Well, 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 I guess. You, you might be a Kate Winslet and one year you you have two movies out there or award-bait and and uh, you get nominated uh, twice. But uh, you don't hear about uh, people getting continually a chance to be the best new artist of the year. Or, <laughs> and uh, so that's always fascinated me. Um, but uh, hey, hey heck, uh, go back to like we're going to talk of Chai fat Where in his heyday, he, he could be uh, nominated like three times in each category. And I remember watching... The nominations for one year and I don't remember w- what actor I was missing from the category, but I was thinking like, did he really need to be nominated three times because you had these other performers, and, and I've and I forgotten which one I was referring to. Why couldn't he get like a slot in there? Did China fact, really need to be nominated three times and definitely win regardless? But uh... the,
1: the, the, the problem with having multiple nominations the same year is that you don't know which film your voters want to vote for, right? So it separates, it splits the votes. I mean, that's what's what happened to Sammy Chang. Semi Chang has been has at least, I think, one or two years where she was multi- um, she was um, nominated multiple times and she still hasn't won Best best Actress yet, I think.
0: Uh, going over some notes from Johnny Toe because he was interviewed on the DVD and they subtitled that in English, regardless if they did it well or not. Uh, he reflects on the reception of election overseas. For instance, uh, when screening uh, both films at the Cannes Film Festival, he, he got some impressions of uh, how it uh, played. And to him, it was not uncommon that overseas audiences would sort of still want Hong Kong action cinema. And as depicted here in election one and two, these characters that audiences got to spend time with, they were, or rather the, the, the characters from those old movies, the Hong Kong action movies, the tribe movies, they were often more heroic. So that brotherhood angle, honor and loyalty that uh, would be on Western viewers' wish list, according to Johnny Toda. That was his sort of impression. But uh, as Election 1 showed, this isn't a cal- character gallery for brotherhood, honor, and loyalty, necessarily. He also talks of, like... And, and it's not that people were coming up to him on the street and, like, <laughs> taking the cigar out from his mouth and say, hey, listen to me, I've got some suggestions. But he did feel like a human suggestion box a little bit uh, he, he, he got some minor demands about bringing back the old days of uh, Hong Kong triad movies why don't you do that but his local audience at the time according to him they they were open to something new in a, in a general sense uh, they were open to new thoughts on the triad world in cinema and their actions and their character um, and on the surface uh, Election uh, 1 or 2 might look like an ordinary gangster film but once Johnny Toe got bumps in seats he, he got a he got to present his different, try movie, and he got a different positive reac- reaction with viewers. Uh, that also felt that his intent of uh, reflecting on the current times uh, were there. The current state of Hong Kong was baked in there. So I think he was relieved. Uh, well, relieved and relieved? I think it was a good confirmation that uh, I think they get me. They're not disappointed that this isn't Young and Dangerous Eight. He also explains um, the movie views tried society on film differently by, you know, expanding scope and uh, character, rather than to keep it to a few brothers only. For those uh, having trouble to adjusting to a movie being as different as Election was, and looking at the topics and uh, the subjects within it. Uh, you know, viewers might have wanted like simple escapism rather than a complex set of uh, characters and uh, tried morals and ethics. But Johnny said he 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 isn't keen on making that to satisfy their opinions. Uh, you know, the history of Hong Kong was always uh, in his head instead, and um, how tried society fits into. The history of Hong Kong and uh, that fed his images as he created uh, these movies. And you know, for instance, in election one, he felt like the strong urge to depict and permanently record the way tried societies are because it is deeply embedded in Hong Kong society. So why not shine a light on it? And in his words, uh, why don't they have a formal history or cultural value? I mean, we are we are on the same path as them, as a matter of fact. Um, he also talks of and yes, he. he sounds like if you watch the interview but he isn't throwing shade like immaturely at genre efforts of the past but the the things I just talked of was his obsession his train of thought said that there is more to the tried society than a better tomorrow tells us so and I, I never got the impression Kevin that Johnny Toe was this sort of rabble rouser that's uh, going to talk crap about movies just for the sake of it to get like a bite in there to, to get a bite onto the internet to get a bite into the press he just talks of like this is not what I want uh, like I don't want to do a Better Tomorrow refread. I want to try something new and if that can be transferred to and accepted by audiences he, he would be pleased I know he doesn't pull any punches on set necessarily but, but I never got the um, impression that Johnny Toe is this uh, guy who just wants to stir up crap for the sake of it you know
1: no, no, of course not. I mean, he he's very much a straight-talking guy. If you can tell from his, I mean, I've interviewed him once, and it was interesting because that interview, the intention was to promote the fresh Wave Film Festival, which he which he founded or he helped it established. But once we got past the stuff that he had to say, you know, once you get past the stuff he had to talk about, which is the fresh film, fresh wave stuff. And then you ask him other questions and then he gives you a straight talk in Johnny Toe, and it was great. And he's actually a really great interview subject if you let him let loose and you let him talk about what he wants to talk about. If you find what he wants to talk about. And talk about the you know, triad films. You know, the thing is, jo- Johnny Toe has always had and, and during his lifetime some kind of contact with criminal elements, right? He grew up in he grew up in poverty. He grew up, um, I think I'm not sure. I can't confirm about this because I, I say this because he he's always wanted to make a film about it. But he might have grown up in the Kaohsiung City or near Kaohsiung City or involved somehow tied to the Kaohsiung City. So he's had he he's been you know tied to these or associated or well I don't want to say associate because that's that's criminal liability right? Like he, he's, he's always lived among criminal elements all his life. You know, so so he's seen it and he has his own view of how this world works and how who these people are. And I think he mixed that with how he sees the state of politics in Hong Kong, the state of democracy. That's what election was about, just mixing what he grew up with and and his own view on at that point, pre-national law Hong Kong. um, uh, What he how he sees Hong Kong democracy and how he sees the future of Hong Kong democracy and the, the looming sort of. The lurking, the, shad, the influence that's lurking over Hong Kong. That's from China, the Chinese government. Um, of course, now he can't say these things anymore. But he could totally do that when it was in 2005. So he did. Unfortunately, he's always wanted to make this Kowloon Wall City film. And he, he still hasn't been able to do it yet. But um, I really would like to see how he sees the Kowloon Wall City
0: yeah, it's been uh, depicted in movies um, as settings and uh, for, for, for action set pieces, but also um, literal s- uh, settings for the drama. Movies like Brothers from the Wall City, the Shaw Brothers movie, and also Long Arm of the Law uh, ends on an action set piece, uh, a classic action set piece in um, in uh, not the Wall City, um, but a replica of it. Because um, uh, I don't know, uh, was it torn down before, like, 84? Four, you remember that? No, it was time?
1: torn down in like the nineties.
0: So, 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 so maybe they actually got to go in there and um, create some some havoc. Anyway, the makers of Long Arm of the Law. It's going to be interesting to have a look at that because
1: that was notorious. That was notorious for being able to shoot inside the Wall City. Yeah, that's pretty notorious.
0: And talking of Louis Koo here, because as you remember, viewers, he was not in the first movie that much um, and it was not a sporadic in the moment decision to have him be a side character in election one and then at the forefront in election two it it had a purpose i think uh, i got the impression from johnny that uh, he would change uh, you know we lose some characters in, in election one so our characters step forward johnny argued that over the course of the change of movie one to movie two the younger generation uh, would voice a different perspective than the older and that the younger generation would come to the forefront because they are in these changing times as much as the older are but they're also bringing up their own unique perspective and Louis Q's Jimmy was the uh, not the usual gangster but rather an an unusual gangster Um, uh, so his characterization was uh, more quote-unquote normal than uh, maybe a, a, a power-hungry triad, uh, triad character. You know, it wasn't a clichéd and expected uh, portrayal of uh, someone. I remembered something right now about uh, if if uh, makers were even allowed to set triad movies post-handover. So what is that rule? Is it in mainland China you can't do a triad movie after 1987 in terms of its story? Or was there ever a restriction in general across Hong Kong and China that... If you do try it, set it um, uh, before the handover. Do, do, do you remember any such rules and regulations?
1: If you talk about mainland China, just within mainland China, the triad doesn't exist in mainland China. There is no gangster. So even like um, a movie like Mr. Six, the Gu- uh, Guanghu film starring Feng Xiaogang, it's insinuated that Feng Xiaogang's character used to be a gangster. But... That film is all about that world being gone. But of course, if you do a co-production film that involves the triad or outright talk about the word triad, then yeah, it has to be set before 1997. Well, this film is not a co-production. It's a a purely Hong Kong finance film.
0: What he was able to do is to sort of match the times, I suppose, in this um, post-handover story. Because uh, Johnny to, uh, speaks of uh, the government was urging people to get uh, to upgrade themselves, to learn the Mandarin, to go with the changing times, and that would include a gangster as well. So that's how he sort of fed it into his story. His um, quote to hammer home that point, I suppose. I always believe when Hong Kong changes, a tried society has to change before becoming obsolete. And Jimmy was a character that wanted change. Also, in Johnny Toe's words, weapons can't be applied to business in these changing times. You have to do business. You have to be a businessman. And that includes being approached by Chinese government officials who would treat these trides uh, nicely in order to sort of suss out whether they're um, influenced or can be controlled. And that turns out to be a plot point here in this movie. So.
1: The film um the poster has a quote that says even well even triads can be patriotic it's actually this film is actually well that line is actually based on a quote uh that was said by uh a government official in china named taoshi jun in 1992 i believe well he was the um he was a member of the cpc central committee he was also the uh in the ministry of security he said and i quote The members of triads are not always gangsters. As long as they're patriots concerned with maintaining the prosperity of Hong Kong, we should respect them. That's where the whole idea of the Chinese government working with gangsters to secure safe passage of Hong Kong into post Hanover or across the Hanover barrier or across the Hanover. That's where that whole idea came from. And I think that's what the film is playing on is that, yeah, even the Chinese government will allow the existence of gangsters as long as they're our gangsters. You know what I mean?
0: so let's uh, move into the movie review and uh, i'll share my brief opinion first of all it's hard for me anyway to separate the films into well this is the better of the two clearly because i i really think they are connected even though they take place over two two years there is a time jump from election one to this you know with a gun to my head i would probably choose election one because it was the most fresh because now going into election two we now know what the world looks like and feels like and what characters are capable of what the inherent darkness is here Uh, but Johnny Toe is good at making that captivating so I dig part two because it expands on the traits and expands Louis Coos Jimmy but it isn't simply a let's elect a new chairman repeat as you know it could have been uh, if uh, if someone would have exploited sort of like election was uh, successful let's let's make our own little movie in 10 minutes and let's have another tried election. Louis Koo is probably available, (laughs) so we can have him too. But uh, regardless, it it isn't a repeat and the mainland Chinese angle is interesting and probably more nuanced than I could ever appreciate, so I'm going to probably ask stupid questions to to you along the way here. Um, But don't stop at election one if you dug it. I mean, you, you can, as the shock twist ending, might linger in a cool way if you don't pursue election two, but it is rewarding to pursue, I think. As for your short opinion, and uh, would you like say, well, totally, this is the better of the movies, or it's too hard to do in a connected story arc like this to select your favorite
1: election movie? Because they're two very different films. I mean, first of all, you have a totally different editor. You have different uh, storytelling. It almost feels like a film directed by someone else, right? I mean, the second film, because the storytelling rhythm is so different. And I think... I really admire Election Two for tackling such a big subject, which is because Election One is sort of a crit sort of a critique on Hong Kong's election system, right, or, or, or democracy and all that, which is kind of a small issue. It is not in Hong Kong, but it is in, in terms of a big picture. But Election Two, it's like Johnny To is like, well, nope, we're not done yet. We're gonna talk about all of China coming down on Hong Kong and. Mm-hmm. and Let's face it, Louis Ku is, is essentially the chief executive of Hong Kong. That's the allegory, I think. I think it's the allegory. But also, yeah, it's about, yeah, I mean, look, China will work with China. It's a really big subject, and it's a really big critique of the lurking. In fact, it's still, it's even more timely now, considering that that sort of lurking influence is now more apparent than ever for sure. um, than before. So the film right now circa 2020. It's very much a Hong Kong circa 2020 film, in fact. So for that, I think Election 2 is very interesting. It's a very, very different film. It's, in fact, I, like, like you said, I think you can stop. Well, I, I, you can stop at Election 1, and you don't have to watch it. You don't have to keep watching. It's fine. You can stop right there. The story stops, and then that's it, right? But you can't go into Election 2 blind. Oh, no. For heaven's sake, no. No, because because a lot of the, they don't even give you any um, context about who the characters are. It sort of starts right in the middle.
0: Not, not even a black and white flashback to previously on Election. No.
1: Exactly exactly it's, it's it's like a direct continuation almost like if johnny johnny Toe meant to make these two films at one go and then just had two different editors edit them into two different, two different films that's what it feels like
0: it's kind of hard to say that with johnny toe is it that well he must have shot these two movies back to back because as, as you described his working habit for a while was shoot a little bit shoot a little bit shoot a little bit you know and over time right. a movie came out of it so i can just imagine that election uh you know, you had to lock down people, of course. And uh, it, it's a big production when, when it's two movies. But I can just imagine that uh, this wasn't, you know, a 120 minutes, uh, 120 days continuous shoot with all, with all of these guys.
1: No, I mean, it's Johnny Toe. He probably shot both of them in like 40 days <laughs> <laughs> because it's Johnny Toe. <laughs> Knowing him, he's just like, yeah, we'll just zip through this. But uh, I mean, there's a guy who did the mission in like in like 15 days.
0: I can I can totally see that because um, it's those guys, those costumes and the camera doesn't move that much anyway. So,
1: um, yeah,
0: we, we can get this done.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it gets the script written on the set. So it's just like on that day, we're like, oh, let's work out what to do, blah, blah. And uh, but actually it's been too long. So I, I don't have any inside gossip because there are, were conflicting reports like, OK, some people said that he shot election first. And they decided to do a sequel later on. But then there are also some people who say he shot both of them at once. It's hard to get like a definitive, unless I go up to the office and ask him myself, like, hey, uh, how was the election shot? I I haven't asked him that. But yeah, unless you get like confirmation, th- these are kind of conflicting accounts on what, on how these films were made.
0: Well, the proof is in the cinema. And, and as you said, there, there there is an interesting and, and quite new angle for election two that uh, wasn't really present in one so i suppose our talk is going to be infused uh, with that my first note is there are young and dangerous films that are longer much longer <laughs> this is 92 minutes or something like in and out like that like young and dangerous five and six are, like two hours long high five that's the way to do it. You don't need to make it longer than that. You can say your stuff in ninety minutes. I'm sure. That's a, I trust you with that, and uh, therefore it's a it's a swift um, swift film. It uh, certainly also pushes the historical angle with the opening uh, opening scene um, depicting the transfer to Hong Kong uh, to find a better life as a tribe society, even and to set up that you're supposed to live in harmony, negotiate solutions before force, which is a little key line that you should, rem- should remember. And uh, this is our rules within our society. People may know of us, but government won't, uh, you know, we're we we are not abiding to government law and order. It's tried society law and order, but negotiate solutions before force. I'm sure it was like that for a while before the punk- power hungry came into a story like this, uh, like Simon Yam's lock, and uh, it's an interesting um, opening that that might—it uh, certainly flew over my head. I think once, but I, I kind of like that he um, set that that line in particular that I, that I've said twice already. That oh yeah okay yeah that sounds all well and good, but uh, remember what Simon Yam did to that guy? Uh, sure. That that was certainly not negotiation before force. That was uh, force, and then um, then I got the power. It's an interesting setup I don't know if you took anything from it and felt like this infuses the piece with uh, these uh, contrasting uh, notions of uh, honor and loyalty and, and things like that
1: but the idea is that there is it's an ironic note there isn't things like loyalty I mean the films uh there's a a title to the film actually election two in Chinese in Chinese is um evil white guy," which means like harmony brings prosperity mm-hmm it's kind of ironic but yes it's it's almost true because yeah if you if you if you um maintain a harmonious relationship with the communists then you get prosperity that's the idea so but then the thing is the communists don't do negotiation they do not they do strong arm they're they do strong arm tactics you know they're like you listen to us then there will be harmony and then we can all prosper that's how the communists work and that's kind of the ironic note that the title is trying to strike and i think uh, yeah, that's the whole 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 theme of this this uh, these two films, I think.
0: In, moving on to uh, maybe an un, a not so relevant uh, note, and certainly a different note, but I, I, I latched on to some more technical qualities this time around because I, I dug the storytelling and uh, the violent aspects of it, and the hypocrisy and the irony of it, as we discussed. I, I, I found myself uh, rediscovering that Johnny Toe uh, gets away with uh, shooting. Darkly lit uh, interiors. Like the, there's a scene early on in um, in a restaurant, maybe uh, Louis C.K.'s restaurant or the one he frequents. That always has um, a, an English uh, song played uh, in each and every scene. It's a darkly lit restaurant scene, brightened with yellow and blue highlights every now and again. But despite that technical showcase, we also still pay attention to the advice that jimmy gets and the path that uh he, the path is uh they're, they're saying he's supposed to be on and all of that I, I dug that technical quality but i also at the same time discovered or rediscovered this time it's so interesting how johnny toe uses actors listening in an intense way to create his uh slow burn his build-up because this is uh incredibly boring to shoot i gather just sit there <laughs> look cut <laughs> you know what i mean so and then he'll assemble that you know they're not glaring characters not glaring at each other so across the room and like i'm gonna chop you now but it's just calm and measured and it shows up in in the technical execution of the cinema you understand the story beat but this must be hella tedious or maybe super easy to shoot to just have louis Ku look dapper and uh, look uh, camera right And I'll be it. So, you know, does that translate to slow burn? That's good, I suppose, is my question.
1: Well, yeah, imagine he was shooting this on film, too. So, you know, remember, imagine burning 35 millimeter film on still tedious shots. I mean, what would would the mission Johnny Toe say? You know, what the hell? Where are we at? two million (laughs) dollars we You're trying to, you know, I mean, because Johnny Toe talked about trying to save film because there was so little film or they didn't have enough money to pay for film (laughs) to shoot the mission so yeah imagine what that johnny toe would tell to johnny toe in 2005 going what the hell are you doing wasting film but yeah it's a very different i think i think that's what you were talking about how johnny toe views the triad genre i think we're too used to those kinetic action action-y even the one car wide triad film is you know it's action-y right it's it's quite fast and now i'm talking about i think uh as years go by
0: yeah exactly i mean they're, i mean there's still punks i mean we're not talking uh, uh triad brothers uh, old or not in costume or anything They're still try punks and things like that so.
1: right, right like you're still punks and they're still moving very fast and you still have that signature um shaky camera of the of the, the um less the slower frame cutting print. yeah which is very kinetic and but here Johnny Toe is like, nope, we're not gonna make a tri movie like that. We're gonna make one that's slow and.
0: And I mean that uh, I don't know if that necessarily allows for him to communicate story clearly, but certainly being so slow, being calm and measured, he still gets his uh, beats in here, in especially in regards to Louis Q's, uh Jimmy. That uh, you know the walls are closing in on him. His deal has fallen through. He has uh, also a, a debt of loyalty to the tri Society. He can't just. Uh, feel like, uh, well, I can have one feed in and one feed out and that'll be good, right? Nope, you can't. Because, uh, you know, once you're in, you have a debt of uh, loyalty to the tri society. So um, that that's a, it sort of sounds like a cliche and a trope, but it generates interest uh, and it generates that change in Lewis Koo's Jimmy that, uh, well, I need to engage in the power play in the chess game that involves assassination and the force before negotiation. And then I can get what I want. I suppose the only complaint I have is, uh, it's clear that uh, Louis Koo is not the one steering the ship. As a matter of fact, like you know by the end that, uh, like, I, I got you your thing, I, I got you your rank, so what do I do now? Well, <laughs> listen kid, I have a story for you. This is the plan, hmm. as a matter of fact, for you. But uh, it, it's not it's not totally transparent that way and totally predictable that way, but I, I do like following Louis Koo, uh, Jimmy in that regard and not be included into all details like the character of mr so avoiding jimmy's call continually I, we i didn't know exactly what what that was about but i like the repeat of that beat that is uh avoiding his call and even faking that he's uh gotten to his uh, answering machine <laughs> by answering like uh he's not here so leave your message out to the tone tone beep he doesn't say beep but he you know he fakes his own answering machine so you know amidst these elegant looking Actors and style and those beats that very much involves Lewis Coos Jimmy. I, I sat up and watched. I, I, I got immersed in all of those takes of actors just looking across the room, sizing each other out and it, it almost seems like um, Johnny Toe partially is looking for faces, not necessarily dramatic, nuanced performances, because there's a lot a whole lot of talking here. But faces and presences. This is what's gonna drive election to to a degree even if they're not lit at all times even if they're just highlighted every now and again by some spotlights i need faces despite has recasting ever been a problem for you like uh, did, have you ever felt like does it need to use gordon lamb every movie or the movies or if the movies are good you don't think about the uh, the the recasting of uh, of these three four five core actors of milky way
1: well, no. I mean, come on. We watch Hong Kong films. You know, we're used yeah. to seeing the same actor like ten times a year. So, so it's not just because Johnny Toe does it we complain. I mean, we know that these actors are all in the same films, and and that's not just something that happened in the last ten years. That's always been sort of happening since the '80s. Especially, we talk about the the the, the character actors. We're used to seeing them in every every director's films, and they appear, and because it's, that's how they work. So, no, I, I don't think. At least I just I don't. I don't certainly make a thing of it.
0: No, not at all. I mean, even uh, even if uh, Lamsut is um, in it for two minutes, there's going to be some joy to that. He's not even in a, this movie that much because he's stuck in a box. But uh, yeah. it's, uh, it, yeah. it's it, it comes with a good payoff. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's where he was. Oh, boy. Did it ever feel like this um, triad movie that's going down places you've seen before, considering there's a whole string of assassinations and uh, the power play to get to the chairman position and getting the the ancient baton the the, the baton that the chairman holds like was that uh, still captivating to a degree despite johnny toe going down triad violence routes if you will
1: well in fact actually i think this film influenced other films that came afterwards you know we had at least two other hong kong triad films that deal with you know that use that talks about politics or has political allegories or imbicate, uh, or references. Uh, one of them is Felix Chong's Once a Gangster, and the other one is uh, Herman Yao's Mafadas, Fathers, which is pretty much a very low-rent take on Election 1. I mean, Johnny Toh here is really brutal. In the previous uh, tri-films, we just get guys holding choppers and, you know, streaks of red over over clothes. I mean, that's about it. We saved the graphic violence for those true crime films, you know, about people melting dead bodies of acid and throwing them in a canister or whatever. I mean, here he sort of mixes that, which is incredibly scary because people don't really go to triad films to see more than that streak of red over someone's, you know, shirt.
0: And and it's really extended here as well, especially that sequence in the dog... uh... Uh, with the dogs of the and uh, dogs in the cages and all of that, it's uh, he stays with violence and um, doesn't necessarily um, let us um, turn away from it either. Uh, he's uh, he's got he's got his category three rating, so let's uh, let's play.
1: I will tell you what though. I mean, I this film is the source of Kevin the freelancer's favorite model. Uh, and this is from the Mark Chang character, who is um, sort of this outsider, this ringer who gets brought in to help out um, Louis Koo. And his motto, every time he does something that's horrible, he just adds, he just says, give me more money, asshole. Give me more money. I want more money. I want more money. I want more money. And that's Kevin Ma, the freelancer. That's his favorite motto. More money, damn it.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of Mark Chang, I remember watching this back in the day because I bought the DVD when it came out. I had watched Election 1 by then. I loved seeing Mark its in this. Uh, it felt like it had been a while. And I was very familiar with uh, the stuff I didn't like with him when he was very young. I don't think he was necessarily the best part of Peking Opera Blues, for instance. And then uh, he went to town doing over-the-top um, performances in Category 3 movies of uh, of different kinds. I mean, he's in Rape by an Angel. He's the, he's the villain in Rape by an Angel, Peeping Tom. But then, you know, you pass the millennium and uh, he... Uh, Adds experience along the way. I'm sure he's always been a working actor, but he also grows into his looks even better. And I, I, I just love to see him here. It made me happy, but it's also, he, he's good at embodying that uh, character that works according to those <laughs> morals and ethics that you just described. He's cold, cool and cold about it, which is um, one of the scary aspects of uh, of this one. So he isn't his manic over the top Mark Chang of, of the past and certainly doesn't evoke such characters no, from no. the past. Like he is, I don't know if you remember the character actor Carol Wong, but he was a mainstay of Tribe movies and he had a snarl about him. And he had a danger about him and he was good at that. But these characters, uh, it's even more scary that uh, it's so matter of fact.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mark Chen is essentially to try a freelancer, right? He's like, I'm just doing a job. And how many triad movies do you see people talking about that you know a lot of them is you know they throw out the, the ideas of brotherhood and loyalty and doing it for for the for what we call the grandfather grandfather is essentially our phrase for the society is for the triad it's for the whole organization here it's just like no i'm just give me more money damn it give me more money i want more money pay me pay me right and it's very, very realistic in that sense
0: is he an actor that uh, you have a notice pre like working with Johnny Toe he was one of those well he turns up in movies reliable enough character or TV actor uh, or how did you view Mark Cheng's work here because he's a good looking guy and he's got the he's got the build and he's got the presence to to deliver to to deliver pain he doesn't look um, snugly necessarily
1: for a time I think I still do I confuse him with Roy Chow because I can't I can't remember which one is it that actually died in a young and dangerous movie oh oh, you mean Roy Chow again later Uh, on uh, 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 as Roy Chen or Roy Chow. See?
0: You're, you're right. Uh, Roy turned out three times as three different characters in <laughs> Young and Dangerous. Mark was in the fifth um, as the um, foe for uh, for Chan Nam.
1: Yes, but you can easily imagine Mark Chen also showing up as multiple characters in different Young and Dangerous movies as well. Because he also has that kind of, he he, he follows that kind of career choices.
0: And even in his uh, Young and Dangerous movie, he, he actually underplayed it. He wasn't a snarly villain like an ugly Kwan or anything and I'm glad that that carried over here that this uh, becomes even more scary because of the scenario that they, they they kidnap these guys from Locke's side of the aisle and uh, break them down through through psychological and physical torture in order to um, get them on their side and um, dish out some pain to Simon Jan's uh, character and uh, I've, I've never seen it that extended and that um not not gleeful in terms of how they they're acting, but it's gleeful to a degree. What they're um, what they're doing here. In my head, I had the uh, in my imagination, I had the sort of image of chainsaw violence in this one, but um, that was apparently wrong. I was like waiting for when is Mock going to use the chainsaw? No, it's <laughs> mainly mainly meat grinders here. So
1: much more pleasant, I, I suppose. Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> seeing all of this and as the uh, Power play happens and deaths pile up. You you do go back, and I, I certainly went back to that negotiate solutions before force, that that is lost to these characters or they're in their own sort of mind, made up a new version of that to warrant these violent tactics almost as step one, uh, which was interesting because a, a character like Simon Yam's lock for the longest of time in Election One, you thought he was uh, cool, calm, and collected, and not uh, prone to those outbursts of violence. Certainly not himself. But as it turns out, um, the only thing that's missing from him is the sort of over-the-top snarl and acting that you saw in '80s and '90s tried movies. But uh, uh, as we said, it's it becomes a little bit more um, scary felt affecting certainly evolving that um, there, there, there's no shouting matches here there's no over-the-top uh, confrontations as such and that makes Johnny Toss violence you know more scary and they're, they're, especially when they're just a character I won't say who they beat him to death you know one head beating at a time and that character then fades a little bit more fades a little bit more and then fades a little bit further and that's even more scary than painting the screen with even uh, blood on the outside of clothes that we talked about. But, but, but was it ever like, oh, he's going, he's going too far. No, it's violent. But come on, like, uh, enough's enough. Uh, more, more mainland Chinese angle storage on it. Or did you feel like this was a nice balance between violence and um, the message of the film?
1: Well, I mean, the, the, the beauty of the film is is while you remembered violence, it doesn't overshadow the message. I mean, it is it is a very ruthless film, but I think the message of it and the political message i think it's more chilling than than the violence itself um especially at that point right i mean at that point it's 2005 you're only less than 10 years after the handover hong kongers are still understandably very worried about chinese influence in hong kong um and back then it wasn't so apparent that was going to happen yeah i think if you show it now it's even scarier
0: Some of my final notes and, uh, and and i do have a question here even though it might spoil some things but uh, so If you haven't seen the film, then then don't listen to this. But regardless, uh, some some, um, some of my final notes. Looking at Louis Koo's Jimmy, and I think he does a respectable job uh, here. He's still in uh, development. And uh, this is uh, about 600 movies ago in Louis Koo's filmography. He's done a lot since then. Uh, But you wonder if Jimmy has his eye on the target or if he's, when it doesn't go his way, when he can't conduct business his way, if he sinks like too low into the triad Business of force. If it's if it's like a screw it, they took my ambition away. It's not going to be violent. That was interesting uh, before even the finale reveal of um, that I spoke of. That uh, he's now done what he's supposed to do for the, his mainland Chinese contact. So now everything, now everything's cool, right? And it certainly is. Uh, is not. Uh, before I get to my question, I I wanted to highlight that there's a great breakout scene, which involves a coffin that goes uh, into a funeral parlor, into a coordinated heist on the street in daylight. And it's so well conveyed and so well executed and uh, so well edited. It got some violent beats as well. So I thought that was uh, a neat heist sequence that uh, brings in the, the few... There are not a whole lot of laughs here. There's not a whole lot of quirky, dry humor that uh, we even found in Election 1. But uh, within this sequence here and there, there's some levity i suppose but i think it's a really neatly executed heist so, so if you have any other notes uh, um feel free to share them but i wanted to ask something first uh, and this is the spoiler thing i suppose so if you haven't seen the movie then fast forward a little bit because i'm dumb i, I need to ask these things so when it all when all is said and done when we find find out the finale twist that lewis ku isn't getting what he's uh, what he's after is it johnny toe really 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 criticizing and his writers Really criticizing heavily what mainland Chinese influence will do to Hong Kong business interests or Hong Kong people that they're able to manipulate and put people in their place this easily.
1: Yes, yes, very simply, yes. I mean it's more than just Hong Kong business. I mean anyone who tries to deal with Hong including politicians. I mean, again, imagine that Louis Koo is the Hong Kong chief executive and he thinks he can get what he wants and and then no, just gonna it turns out no, it's just gonna be our puppet. It is essentially is about just like how once a gangster is saying that no one really wants to be a chief executive of Hong Kong is such a crappy job. But of course, they didn't put in any Chinese in influ- any China critique into that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the end of election two is essentially saying, yeah, anytime you try to work, it's just going to become a puppet. That's pretty much it.
0: Effective as a message. Uh, we're in the context of election one and two now. Do you think it was? I mean, it's a gut punch for him, but the, it's it's not the movie. Like, it's not a twist ending uh to make us feel like, oh ah, my God, it was him. But rather, clear, clear we're watching a character that um,
1: deflates. Well, the first film is about democracy. It's about election. Just like the way Island of Greed is about Taiwanese election. Um, well, the the corruption of Taiwanese election system. It's about the corruption of, of Hong Kong democracy. I mean, the whole joke is that, you know, when the cops talk about how the triads are better at doing elections than, than Rio, the Hong government. That was the whole joke. And then, and then at the end, it's like, it's a show that, no, they're no, actually not really. So that's the point of the first film. And it's like, so it's all tied. It's about the failures of democracy in Hong Kong. And 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 then if the first film tells you that democracy failed in Hong Kong or is going to fail in Hong Kong, the second film tells you why.
0: And, yeah, and I get the feeling, obviously, I can only rely on the English subtitles that they do provide us with, uh, whether they're very good or, or not very good. But I get the feeling that, Johnny Toe nor his, um, his writers. It, it must have been uh yeah, Yao Hoi and uh, Yip Ting Shing. They, they're not uh, they're not insecure as writers. They're, they're not dropping these little obvious hints throughout the movie like hey, 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 there's uh, there's gonna come up some uh, political angle and a little message towards the end. They they're very good at doing the movie and simply balancing out uh, story a message very well i don't know if i'm describing that very well but they, they're not coming off as uh, too anxious to push the message into our face and then we're, then by the end push it into our face more because it was really a genuine surprise for me that um uh, that uh, it didn't really work out and there's a almost a post uh, almost a coda scene for lewis q and his um uh, and his wife towards the end that just drives that home even more that
1: it doesn't have to be because if you're living in Hong Kong you're living in that reality every day it's every day It's, it's something we face it we don't need to the movie to tell us 90 minutes reminding us of it. I mean, we live in it every day, we watch the news and we know what's going on. So I guess Yip-Tin-Shing and Nyo know hoi they also live that reality and they know that they don't also have to say everything explicitly multiple times. So, so you know, it's, it's, in that sense, it is very much made for Hong Kongers.
0: It very much takes a skill despite to um, deliver that with an effect and an impact uh, while also making uh, the story that you're, you're doing. And uh, that's the imp- that's the impression I got. That uh, they've they've been good writers for for a number of years, and they can deliver more than just uh, quirky cinema for for Milky Way, uh, but uh, something that uh, will linger. And it doesn't always have to do with uh, with violence, because the implications here are greater than um, you know getting a rock smash smashed over your head. That's why I recommend including this in your election viewing, because uh, there is a there is a knot tied here on the story that's. Uh, uh, that uh, that means something uh, locally, but certainly is impactful when you watch it from uh, from afar um, far too. And it doesn't turn into you know education necessarily. It, uh, they, they immerse it into and infuse it into the storytelling itself, which is what I'm trying to get at. That they're they're they're, they're good at uh, mixing these uh, elements. Uh, so it's not like this genre movie with a pasted on insecure message at the end. But rather they, they have structured this. Uh, quite well regardless if that is i mean if they wrote this on the on the set then good on them for you know tying the knot on the movie you know always admirable by hong kong filmmakers uh, even back in the day to be so disorganized and yet get even classics
1: in the end you know we're still very disorganized i'd say <laughs> no having been that i mean still that person who who translates johnny toe's it's part of my job is that I translate the script for the editor. They decide to bring on um, a foreign editor. I'm the guy that translates the script scene by scene. So so I've lived, and it's still, and it's still happening. So.
0: I hope they don't uh, do some post-dubbing after your subtitle scripts are done. Like, <laughs> I'm going to decide to change motivations and not tell the subtitler. ha <laughs> ha.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I, I get to, Milky Way is exceptional about involving me in every step of post-production when they have any change and, and to fix the subtitles accordingly. So they're very good about that. Even though that means, like I said, I've been to Milky Way this year more times than, than I can remember. Yeah, But that's because they're exceptional at doing that.
0: How do you think he handles uh, putting Lewis front and center uh, as uh, early as 2006 here?
1: It wasn't like so early where he wasn't playing leading man role. I mean, he's, and he was already like a Johnny Toe favorite at that point. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, by that point, he's already made quite a few films of Johnny at that point. So it was perfectly normal. Just like breaking news already made. So again, Nick Chen already joined that troop as well, even though he's left it since. So it was pretty much, that was the early two thousands to mid two thousands, Johnny Toe troop right there. I mean, pretty much who you expect to see there all there
0: yeah, i think it does a good good job i mean it's it, it's hard to differentiate um, and extract oh this is the best lewis coo performance because he never stops working so it's uh but but i appreciate i and i've always appreciated someone who uh hones his or her craft by simply doing you know i think what you will of the fact that lewis coo is in so many movies but clearly it's not uh, greedy i think uh, he's always uh, been after honing his craft, and certainly gets to work with the big directors still, and uh, and also Do meow.
1: Louis Koo is single-handedly keeping half the Hong Kong film industry working. So I'm not going to say anything bad about Mr. Koo right now.
0: How has he not um, collapsed? Does he even out, even out his sort of workday, his rest of his workday by going home to his Star Wars collection? Is that it? You think?
1: <laughs> I don't know what he does, and I don't even think he goes home. To be honest i I don't think he goes. I think he has multiple homes that are closest to the set, and they just goes there. I don't know that man works a lot, and part of it is because he is keeping half of Hong Kong film industry alive. It is amazing uh,
0: any other uh, any other notes um uh, whether on actors or not I mean you, you tend to forget Simon Yam is yeah, he's in here as well, and he's doing luck again, but he's part of the tapestry and uh, the tapestry is uh, pretty good so so for me, it's not like wow, Simon Yam. But Robbie, it's a it's the acting troupe here, and they, all the respectable jobs. So, uh, was that the case for you that it's hard to sort of extract that? Oh, Simon Yam is running away with this movie, for instance.
1: Well, no, I mean he he has that whole like pale, or is that his son? The character who plays, his, or the actor who plays the son is that everyone sort of looks a bit more pale, a bit more sweaty, a bit more like they can't, like a bit more suffocating. Um, that's the feeling. You get. It's hard to. I mean, election is an ensemble film because there's no one that is explosive the way that tony Leung was in the first film so no i mean i don't i don't think there he was especially good or especially bad
0: uh, i've concluded my notes i'm gonna throw over to you again if you want to share anything else uh, any specifics uh, from the movie so if you have anything else please feel free to share
1: um no i think i i think we had a very good discussion of the film and with the first film and then combined here i think we've talked uh, quite a bit about it and i think actually i still think that is pretty much johnny toe's ultimate masterpiece it is when, when when all is said and done this is going to be his masterpiece and and i think it is deserve really so
0: it certainly hasn't uh dropped in popularity or anything i think uh one of the movies that will always stay with me just because i did not expect what i just got i think i need to watch it again it was uh, probably running on karma which is a mess of a movie but it's intended to be a mess of a movie because it's intended to just think we're going in one direction look at him he's got a muscle suit on but he's not he doesn't have all those muscles and then by the end muscle suit movie that was not what i was expecting let's uh, watch those 90 minutes again and see if we can make sense of what was happening here and uh, i gladly returned to running on karma for uh, for that reason that i did not uh, i did not uh, expect that um, one final note that just occurred to me uh, I, I usually recognize most of the main cast in Johnny Toast movies but uh, one person that I couldn't really recognize because uh, his outfit was a little bit goofy, his demeanor was a little bit goofy was probably um, uh, Eddie Chung Chung Shufai as uh, Mr. So they bury him a little bit under um, uh, under glasses and a certain demeanor here. so normally I'm like hey that's Eddie, I see you but uh, I didn't I didn't formally like confirm it uh, until I watched the cast list by the end. Oh, he was Mister
1: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell by his voice, I think.
0: Uh, so, so go get it, and you can because it is available on uh, DVD and uh, Blu-ray in Hong Kong. The the uh, the first edition that came out way back in the day was a two-discer with subtitled extras. Uh, hopefully, they carried that over to. The Blu-ray, I don't know if you watched the extras on the Blu-ray, if they um, took the old interviews and put them on the new Blu-ray.
1: No, I didn't check, unfortunately.
0: But uh, they got some cast interviews, Gordon Lamb, Lam Sutis there, Johnny Toe, and that was uh, very welcome for us back in the day. Uh, It was Panorama, in this case, who did Election 1 and 2 on DVD, and they took the time to uh, address the subtitle situation uh, even in the extra material so obviously that is very appreciated uh, it's a standard that i'm not sure has been kept necessarily but then again i'm not sure we get that many you know special edition blu-ray releases in hong kong anymore where, where there's commentaries and big old documentaries and things like that it's it's the making of and i I'm, I'm not sure anyone cares if the five minutes of making of is, uh, is a subtitle thing but um it should be and you got people working on subtitles wink wink kevin's way you know <clears throat> here's the meow making off then uh then enhance that for western viewers so they can get a <laughs> get a sense of what what was the reason meow was made do your work kevin is what i'm saying
2: <laughs>
0: anyway uh we're gonna take a uh, promo break and uh listen to a promo from one of our friends in the podcasting community and after that uh, we're gonna do a a more um, more, uh, it's a light-hearted movie and uh, from Johnny toe as well from 1990. And I think it's uh, going to be an easier review. There's no as much anyway mainland Chinese subtext, and certainly no uh, feeding of human meat to dogs in the Fun, the Luck, and the Tycoon from 1990. So sit tight, and we'll be right back to discuss that film.
2: The following message is a paid advertisement for the Cult of Muscle podcast. The Cult of Muscle: You're either in it or you're dead. No. It's the dawning of a new age. The halls of Valhalla have been shuttered. The heroes of yore have either retreated to the shadows or taken to capering for the amusement of the small folk, their past glories of distant memory. The barbells have been torn from their once puma strong grips. The beards shone from their square jaws, only to be transplanted onto flannel-clad, puny weaklings with fingers barely powerful enough to strum a ukulele. The time has come, my brothers, to restore order from the chaos. No longer will our heroes be forgotten. No longer will their great deeds be viewed through a foggy lens of irony. Hear now our rallying cry as we scream it from the mountaintops As we bellow it from iTunes and Limson and Facebook It's time to join the cult, my brothers So don your cloaks and enter the cult of Muscle
0: And welcome back in for our conclusion to this uh, coverage of... uh, election one and two, uh, we sort of extend it to talking about another Johnny Toe movie, a light Johnny Toe movie, just to uh, sit back and relax a little bit. We don't need to analyze as uh, heavily, I suppose. So when watching The Fun, The Luck and The Tycoon from 1990, and plot from the Far East film review of the film, in what essentially is a reworking of Eddie Murphy's popular comedy Coming to America, Chai Fat takes the role of a wealthy socialite who becomes increasingly bored of the life he leads. Surrounded by uh, sycophantic associates and with every decision in his life already made for him, he decides to go out uh, into the working world and lead a more normal life. He manages to find work at a local restaurant and happily takes on the most mundane tasks. Happy with his relatively stress-free environment, uh, Zhao meets and slowly falls in love with the daughter of uh, the restaurant owner, played by Sylvia Chang, and manages to use his uh, subtle charms on her, I suppose. Uh, Her father... However, has other ideas and continues to try and uh, a right father. I think that was uh, her brother, wasn't it? In the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: so right. uh, uh, so uh, he has other ideas and continues to try and marry off uh, Sylvia Chang's um, character to a rich uh, suitor, even though she's firmly against the idea. Chao also faces the prospect of marriage to a far from ideal partner played by Nina Lee. And I ask you, not ideal. <laughs> she's gorgeous famously. but yeah she's a bit kooky and realizes his uh, former world is beginning to close in on his new on his new environment this time
1: well Kenneth, uh, well kind I mean just remember she's his cousin
0: okay yeah that's fair enough
1: yeah that's, part why.
0: <laughs> so that's how the rich uh, the, that's how the rich work work out their managers and <laughs> uh, so uh, and the time does comes to reveal his true identity to his new workmates and try to win the heart of the woman he loves So, let's first of all do some minor box office chat, and if if I understood things correctly, this opened before the start of the Lunar New Year, like just a week before, but I guess it could be slotted into that year's Lunar New Year lineup, because the movies play over a couple of weeks, and therefore, you know, uh, it could be considered a Lunar New Year movie. I mean, is that common that movies open before the holiday starts, essentially, I, I might as well ask that.
1: Yes, it is very normal because you want to start you don't want to open I mean in China they open films on the first day of new year but in Hong Kong we start on the on the run up to the to the, to the holiday. We don't actually open new films on the first first day of new years. We we open it like a few days before and then we let it build up essentially to retain um, box office screen. So so yeah, it's very normal. So this film was definitely a new year film.
0: And it's, it certainly feels like it. Uh, its box office was $20 million Hong Kong dollars, and that resulted in taking 8th place in the top 10 highest-grossing local movies of uh, that year, which was like $20 million short of Stephen Chow's breakthrough vehicle, All for the Winner. And also another Stephen Chow movie, uh, God of Gamblers 2, was uh, on that list. Uh, I was also looking at what other possible mo- movies it was competing with during the new year, because um, found the Luck and the Tycoon played into February, and... Uh, all Of that, so possibly the Carol Chang George Lam romantic comedy Heart into Hearts was part of the new year lineup, but otherwise, like the top 10 opened at other times of the year and still did tremendous business. So uh, the top 10 wasn't just 10 movies from from the spring or anything.
1: Well, I can tell you the other the other films, sure, sure, because uh, I have a list of uh releases from 1990, it was a very weak new year, <laughs> and once <laughs> I tell you, you realize uh, it's also a Sammo Hung versus Sammo Hung year because it has um, so it has. This one, The Fun Deluxe Tycoon, you have, like you said, Heart Into Hearts, a sequel to the, the first film. I forgot the name of that film.
0: I can't keep track of those, by the way. Paul, for some reason, can. There's multiple hot movies with George Lam and Carol Chang. But then it seems like there's so many, so many more Carol Chang, George Lam movies from DMB, in sync sound to keep track of that are romantic.
1: Right, but I think these characters are are these these two films, so Heart Into Hearts is the second one. I can tell you the Chinese title, but I don't know, I don't remember the, the English title of the first one. Uh, but anyway, that was two years prior to that. But anyway, so it's that film, and then you have The Fortune Code, directed by Ken Chan, starring Samuel Hong and Needham Way, Alan Tam, and Andy Lau, and versus Shanghai Shanghai, directed by Teddy Robbins, starring... George
0: Lamb, Anita Moy you have bial it's Anita Moy and oh, flawless in it but it, it's um, Shanghai Shanghai so it, it's not great i mean I, we did it as part of our George Lamb coverage I, I remember such a strange role for George Lamb as the, uh, as a great inventor and uh, he's uh, at his most, uh, not at his most, but he's, uh, he's, uh, he's sort of slotted into the lame category for Shanghai, Shanghai. But, but it, it's got some, some Sam Hong action. So
1: And as we talked about, um, I think, last show with Paul, 1991 was a much more stellar year in terms of your choice of uh, Chinese New Year movies. Because that one came with Tricky Brains, the Andy Lau, um, Stephen Chow film. Uh, Once a Thief, the Zhang Wu film. And also um, a Jackie Chan film, Operation Condor. So, so 1990, a really terrible year for Chinese New Year films, I have to say.
0: Well, it gave us uh, Stephen Chow, I suppose, uh, as um, as now now is uh, on his uh, comedy path with uh, All for the Winner. Um, regardless of where, when it came in the year, that's um,
1: yeah, it that came much later in the year, in like in like the summer. So yeah, that it came much later. Yeah, and
0: one or two years later, whether uh, 91, 92, 93, it's incredibly amusing to look at the top ten list because the first five spots are Stephen Chow movies. <laughs> they made all the money. And uh, they're all pretty solid, all of them. It's like a year with uh, Fight Back to School and uh, maybe Floating Scholar and things like that. He uh, he dominated the box office. Uh, that's for damn sure. So um, we are going to get into the review. And uh, I mean, there's, there's things to talk of here. But um, as for my short opinion, I, I can't stop you, listener, viewer, if you're bothered by the fact that they are tailoring this film after com- coming to America. But as part of the that year's Lunar New Year lineup uh, maybe the one of the best contenders as we just discussed but regardless it ticks the boxes in a dependent ma- manner. It's pleasant not hilarious. It's got enough charisma from and charm from the stars fun shenanigans within and outside of the and fat Sylvia Chan core. Beyond sings a few songs and then it's over. And that's fine that's fine. Even if you, you, you're you making audience-friendly entertainment, uh, but, but you need to put some work into it and understand that mindset and execute what you're working towards. And I think uh, it does that perfectly well without uh, being a Lunar New Year classic or anything. So, it's, um, it, it's over and done with. Um, quickly, we could end the review right there, because what else is there to <laughs> say? But there, there are a few more things to say. But I'll throw over to you, uh, in short, uh, what did you think of Thunderluck and the Tycoon?
1: I would say that there is no explicit credit that it's an adaptation or in any way based on coming to america in fact it's just very much that kind of cinema city production that you know raymond wong production where they sort of steal an idea and then they make it a hong kong film and that's pretty much it, it, it let's face it it's an illegal copy of coming to america <laughs> I mean, let's, just, let's just put it let's just go but then then again the the story of you know a rich guy who slums and then, you know, finds the true meaning of, of, of life. It's not something that, came, you know, coming to America came up with. It's just that some of the gags yeah, just that some of the gags happen to be copied from uh, coming to America. But that archetype, that story, the narrative of a rich man slumming and then realizing the true you know, the meaning of life, that that is something that is uh, very much a long tradition in comedies the thing is once i saw the film i was like five minutes in because you were like i'm gonna watch coming to america again and i'm like why why i don't know i mean and then like five minutes into it, i was like, "Oh, that's coming to america <laughs> so
0: <laughs> disconnected from that acceptable luna new year fair um in your eyes in your 2020 eyes
1: perfectly fine i mean this johnny toe in the whole like in his, i'm still kind of just i just left my tv job and now i'm making commercial movies mode and you know my boss is Raymond Wong, so what else did you expect Johnny Toad to make? I mean, anyone who's expecting, like, even the greatness of, you know, something like um, Needing You or something. I mean, they're not going to get anything coming. I mean, this is a – anyone could have made this, let's face it.
0: Even Raymond Wong himself probably could have directed
1: this. Yes, exactly. Raymond Wong's up might have directed half the film. Who knows? So, so yeah, it's very much an average due to New Year comedy. It's pleasant. I, I could, I could see myself spending half an hour, I mean, hour and a half of it on Chinese New Year. It's perfectly fine. I
0: wanted to ask and focus a little bit on Chiang Fat because I, I had the pleasure of uh, let's count his credits each year between 1987 and 1989. What's the sort of average per year we know he did a lot and he did as much as 10 or 11 movies per year across 1987 1988 1989 per year enter 1990 this was his only starring role (laughs) oh well he does two roles because he's he plays dual roles but this was his only starring role in the 1990s i wonder worn out or in a purely comfortable spot financially so by the turn of the of the decade there maybe I could be select with my vehicles uh, rather than working to support myself like I did for a while in the 80s. Uh, but but also, I, I'm sure as a performer, whether you're in the front of the camera or behind the camera, you, you'd want your voice to be unique and fresh. You'd want to be inspired rather than overworked. But still, considering the amount that he did, there's some truly awe-inspiring acting here crossing over both from dramatic to comedic. And I thought he always did that with these. Not every comedic movie is great, but obviously he had that uh, that skill set, and so he had the rights, I think, to I'm gonna make this my movie, and I'm gonna wait for it, and I'm gonna have a bit of a lie down, <laughs> because I can. So, and I think he earned that, and uh, he shows up dependably here, without uh, exceeding anything. So, what I wanted to ask, uh, any spontaneous thoughts on that late 80s run after he had broken through, because it's it's quite insane, and it's not just walk-on part for five minutes off to the next set. There's a lot of starring vehicles
1: in there. Right. No, it's absolutely one, he's worn out, and two, by then, he probably has a very high asking price, and not everyone can afford him anymore by that point. And three, he was probably planning uh, planning his, his um, Hollywood sojourn by then, because in 1998, he did replacement killers, but he was pretty much planning for it around the mid-90s, right? He started learning English in the mid-90s, and When he did Peace Hotel, it almost felt like he was already halfway gone, left left Hong Kong already. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, by that point, he was probably very expensive. He was probably very uh, tired. And he probably was like, well, I'm not going to – I mean, unless the triads make me, I'm not going to go and make seven movies a year anymore. And, And In fact, I think when he was doing seven movies a year, I'm sure some of them involved triad wrangling, yeah.
0: It seemed to happen to the best of them, indeed. <laughs> but they, we, we, when you look back on that, without even looking at filmography, do do, do you feel like, yeah, that was a solid run of movies, man? You know? Because uh, just because you're a working Hong Kong actor, you don't produce results like he did.
1: You know, that is a phenomenal run, and a phenomenal run, because he knows what filmmakers he wants to work with. I remember by when uh, Better Tomorrow, when he made a Better Tomorrow, he was still box office poison and that was 1986, and he turned all that around by 1990, he Became he becomes king of Hong Kong film. So that's all that all happened within a span of three years. But of course, Hong Kong entertainment moves so fast that your shelf life for three or a three-year shelf life might feel like 10 years, because Hong Kong's entertainment moves so incredibly fast, and people's attention is so fickle. And hindsight, in hindsight, it looks like an incredibly short time, but... That is a phenomenal run of about 20 movies in three years.
0: I don't know the size of the city. So I don't know if it's feasible to drive around the city and make movies all day and then go home to your bed.
1: He doesn't go back. Be- no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> they, no, they don't go home.
0: Because I heard that story before. I mean, Mike Leader told me a story of um, actor Eddie Coe. And he, he was not a leading actor as such. He's in the mission, Eddie Coe. He's the boss that they protect. But even here, as a supporting actor and a good character actor, for a while, he uh, he essentially lived in a van. He didn't go home for a couple of weeks because even for a, a bit actor, supporting actor, you were on the job constantly for a
1: while. And it's not just Hong Kong actors. I mean, I remember talking to Bridget Lin. Sorry, I have to. You t- you you pull out Eddie Co. I'm gonna pull out Bridget Lin. Um, Bridget told me herself. Mic drop. Was, <laughs> yep. There, um, that she was talking about when she was at her peak in the 80s in or 70s in Taiwan. They would make like four or five movies in a row, and all the leading actors do when they get to the set is they find a chair or a bed to sleep on. They're just like, oh, there's a family set, we're all gonna jump over and sleep. We're gonna like they fight for spots to sleep. And of course, there's all that story about her working in Hong Kong for with, with Trey Hark. Like, literally, the afternoon she's supposed to be on a plane, in the morning, just to still be shooting scenes. It's that kind that's what I'm talking about when Hong Kong entertainment moves incredibly fast. So, it, it, like I say, in hindsight, it looks like a really short period, but. Twenty film feels like forever, man. Feels like forever.
0: So some more specifics are the movie. Uh, obviously, he his character Chan Fat's character starts out as privileged and entitled and influential, as opposed to his family. So he can be a prick. He can throw paper balls at the police. I think he offers them alcohol on the job as well, unless that was another beverage that he offered the police officer. <laughs> But it's it sort of supposed to set up that uh, that uh, he uh, he has no cares in the world, and uh, but uh, that changes quickly as well. And broad Chiang Fat usually worked. He could be manic and clownish without, um, you know, sinking his image as such. I mean, if you remember Eighth Happiness, he's a complete loon in it, uh, and goes for it. It's also a Lunar New Year movie for Johnny Toe. but I I always appreciated his. Um, even his broad persona, even if it wasn't uh, the most honed, skilled comedic persona out of Hong Kong ever. But uh, he definitely also looked more comfortable playing it broad because uh, it would mean, or it wouldn't mean, that uh, John Woo was setting off explosions behind your back at the same time. So <laughs> it's uh, it's much more comfortable being this uh, sort of cackling rich boy. And uh, I'm going to buy this million dollar jewelry, la 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 la. la. And then he changes his mind. Uh, mind across the movie. So, broad Chai Um You you always do understand Cantonese, so you can pick up maybe if he's there worse versed in uh, in uh, in Cantonese comedy versus what I can appreciate. So, did, did did you have a general like or dislike for his comedic persona in films, Chai
1: Oh, I love watching Chai in comedies because I mean I know that. Western fans all expect him to have the guns and all that stuff. But us Hong Kongers, we love him because he's a charming, funny guy. He's a very funny... um, I wouldn't say... He's he's very much a grassroots kind of guy you know he's not like he's not like oscar wilde or anything you know i mean he's not posh right he grew up in llama island I mean, he's one of us in a way so so that's what we like him for he has that very much a grassroots humor and grassroots charm and you know people even say now that they can still spot him at county city wet market buying food every day or buying well, groceries a couple of times a week He's just that kind of guy. So, so that's what we love about Chow and fat We don't, yeah. I mean, he's iconic as a guy with the two guns and John Woo movies. But if you look at the box office figures, his comedies and his romantic comedies have, and his romantic films have always done better than, in, on average, than his action films.
0: Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, they, like, like a classic like The Killer, I think, is uh, was an underperformer in Hong Kong, for instance. And 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 then All About Along you know, is you know tough melodrama and that's the sort of box office winner out of those two so um but it's always cool to know and i uh, uh, cool to appreciate as you as you grew into a hong kong cinema fan that clearly the local audiences won't bat an eyelid when chai and fat you know at uh, 4 p.m in one screening does romancing star one and then you go to an 8 p.m screening and you watch um uh, you know, uh, uh, the killer, for instance. I know they're from different years, but I don't think uh, local audiences would uh, think that's a strange sort of detour because it isn't a detour. It's um, his preferred, his preferred image, and uh, he's got multiple images, and they're they're all um, all all accepted, you know. But uh, you know, I gather the romancing stars, something like it, it's an easier watch and a more joyous watch for local <laughs> audiences, obviously. So. Um rather than the bloodshed of, uh, of the killer. but uh, It's always been interesting, and even watching Andy Lau switch up roles and such. That was never a problem either uh, to, um, to adapt to the different image that they project. And all of that, I mean, when I first saw the comedic side of China, Fat I think it was Tiger on Beat. And it was fairly early on in my viewing of Hong Kong movies. So it was never strange, but rather infatuating. That uh, he's sort of a cackling, cackling loon, and he pees his pants at the beginning of the movie. So that's the cool, heroic, bloodshed image, shed, but not forever. You know what I mean? You you could switch mm-hmm. back easily yeah. into it. So uh, that was always, um, always fun as you discovered his movies, and uh, they 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 were put out. Uh, they, they were sort of prioritized because even even in the UK, where I bought my tapes from, giant fat movies uh, sold. Uh, so he had gained a certain status and popularity there is a gag about eddie murphy here and i don't understand it it might just be impossible to translate it from cantonese to english but at one point they say he asks a china probably what's the biggest diamond in the world and the person answers the tear of eddie murphy oh yeah did that make sense to you at all
1: it's westernized Actually, in Chinese, is something else. I forget what it is, but they made a bunch of gags and and they westernized it to make it it's because it's all puns and wordplay. So they just, they just I guess the Eddie Murphy thing was in, 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 uh, on purpose because maybe because of coming into America. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, that was a westernization, a uh, clear uh, intentional westernization. So it's not a direct translation of what's being said.
0: So, uh, and yeah, these are, I think, retranslated subtitles. um either so it might have I, I don't know if it was even in the original ones who knows yeah so uh the, if you have a vcd or a tape or a laser disc listeners uh let us know if uh, eddie murphy is even mentioned on the cinema print of thunder luck and the tycoon so, some of the broader bits i mean does the nina litchie broad bit work for you as this uber wealthy aristocrat almost that she walks like i i thought just because she's so tightly strapped into that dress that's why she has to walk like that. But I guess it's simply a fun, breezy, luna new year comment on rich people move this way. So let's some, so let's milk that for a couple of scenes. Does that play well for you? or Is that just too broad and too silly for to even be to even be funny?
1: The whole film is is that kind of over the top. Chinese New York comedy, so I, for me anything goes, right? Nothing is too silly, nothing is too exaggerated, nothing is too over the top. Every, but then everything is exaggerated, everything is over the top, everything is nutty.
0: Do you do you appreciate when actors are game like that? Uh, because clearly you have to uh, drop ego a little bit and uh, be ready to um, be ready to to clown around.
1: Ever, I, I never thought Li Chi was that kind of a serious actor. <laughs> I mean, I I'm not a big fan, or nor have I. Am I that? Um, have I seen many of her films? But when you know you're on a Chinese New Year comedy with Fad and Fat and, direct, and produced by Wayman Wong, you know what, you know what you're in for, right? You know, you're not going to be, you're not there to do Shakespeare, you know? So, so for me, it's nothing that special, nor is it anything that brave. It's just something you have to do. I mean, a lot of them, which is why a lot of them sort of overdo it because they just kind of have to ham it up for the camera because that's their job. They think that's their job. And, to them, it doesn't matter if the, if the audience like her or not. They're just like, we'll pay to do it. We got to follow it. This tongue, and this is the tongue we're to achieve. So let's just do it.
0: I didn't spot any, uh, any uh, sort of stock. She's mainland Chinese. Let's make fun of that jokes in this one, which seems to be a, a go-to thing when you involved Nina Litchie in certain, certain movies. Of course, they, they make, a, they make a, a big boob joke uh at her expense if you will later in the film because uh that's uh why why shouldn't you i suppose
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) i I think trying fight this game i think uh, i enjoy when it goes to the charity function uh, uh, i enjoy him sort of enjoying himself being in a situation where he might be recognized he might not be recognized but uh, he's enjoying the change of scenery and he uses his charisma fairly well at that point and uh I guess the only joke I truly laughed at, because the movie does things on a more pleasant level, I suppose, is when the the Beyond Kids uh, approach uh, the guests for donation, and they run away, screaming. (laughs) Greed! But if they can have a food fight, they're happy to uh, donate. So it's a silly sequence like that, but I thought that was fun. And Chai Fat, you know, as a character, he's having a ball watching situations getting out of control. Even uh, having fun watching um, his son from All About Along. Uh, who's here as well? Nearly throw up after drinking, uh, after bartending and subsequently uh, drinking. So it's that kind of movie where kids can get drunk, and he seems to enjoy that, but he's not uh, mean spirited about it. It's just that, oh, okay, I've stepped into a world of chaos here. Let's follow that Fred into a fast food restaurant and all of that. So um, I thought that was enjoyable without being, you know, a big, grand, comedic uh, set piece. It establishes who who the characters are and then has a little. Comedic bit with the food fight, and uh, everybody can recognize who's uh, in the movie. Like there's Sylvia, there's Chao, there's the kids from Beyond. So it's audience, f- and it's an audience-friendly section, is what I'm, um, is what I'm getting at. So, and I don't know how uh, how uh, much movie work they had done prior to um, to this one, uh, Beyond.
1: You can tell none. You can tell <laughs> from the acting none. And, and you know the Beyond kids. I mean, this is the. F- what was the last time we talked about the? The Wesley movies, when we had Softheart, right? I mean, Hong Kong has a tendency to put the flavor of the month pop at into their films. I mean, that is something that it is practically a Hong Kong cinema tradition that's been going on for 30 years. Back in the 90s, you have Softheart, you have Beyond, and then in the middle, you have Twins, the Cookies, and then now, in fact, I was watching um, a movie called Hellband Presents whatever, whatever, it played at New York Film Festival, I watched it last week, and they put in this boy band that came up with a, 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 a talent competition on TV, so they're still doing it. Yeah, it was a really odd thing and then you realize you're oh, watching a Hong Kong film and it's from the 90s and you're like, oh, of course of course Beyond will be in it. of course they'd be singing. Yeah, of course they're singing their own song and of course yet yeah, they're singing in a in a contest and yeah. But
0: but yet they resisted the urge to do a full 4 minute mv. even when they go to the singing contest contest they cut away from uh, the performance.
1: Well, because they they played the song at the very end anyway. Yeah. Plus it right. was plus it was running a bit long because you know the films have to be under 100 minutes in Hong Kong. So otherwise, then that's the only reason they probably cut the song.
0: How did you think? Uh, the either the chemistry between and Fat and Sylvia fed, or did you like having the family reunion there? Even though they're not playing the all about that long family, but obviously they're all there. So, uh, and and if charisma and chemistry between between the leads.
1: But, I mean, the, the Sylvia and, and Charm Fat they, they've been in films together and they were continuing to be in films together. They were all ball along. So this is essentially the whole point that why they're being reunited because of that film, because that film was so um, successful just a few months prior to it. So that's why they brought back together again. So, yeah, I mean, of course, they have chemistry and um, the kid also funny and uh, in fact, I'm, I'm glad that he's playing this uh, kid who's not really a kid, but who's kind of a kid. He's something that it looks like it's something came out of murder, that Aaron Kwok filmed. Sorry, that's kind of a spoiler for the second half. But yeah, it, it's fun. Um, they make a good team, and the Beyond kids even seem to be having fun, even though they're probably shooting 18 hour days.
0: Am I wrong in remembering this? Going back to Beyond, uh, their song, I don't know, it's in Chinese, obviously, but they have a, they have a famous song that was put in "My Heart Is That Internal Rose," the Patrick Tam. Film. So I mean, they they. But by 1990, would they have been been big by that point, based on that movie alone? Or do you know if they had been at it for a few years and therefore had released twenty albums already? <laughs> no,
1: I mean 1990. Beyond was already very big. They were formed in 1983. When when did they become like a huge? I guess they broke through around the late eighties, Yeah. Uh, around eighty eight. So that was the peak. In fact, it was yeah, that was probably the peak of the career. In fact, nineteen ninety. That's why they were put in a movie. I mean, why else would Beyond do a movie?
0: And they're not even credited uh, separately. Beyond, like uh, starring Beyond.
1: I mean, nineteen ninety, they even got their own Happy Ghost movie.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> they're, they're in Ra- Ra- Raymond Wong's fold there.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking at Wikipedia right now. So, so yeah, I mean, nineteen ninety was the peak of the popularity, and in fact, you know, this. Um, you watch the, the commercialization of a rock band, you just look at Beyond and what Hong Kong did to Beyond, and you can see.
0: W- were they more of a rock band and turned into a pop band? Is that it uh, after they broke?
1: That's pretty much what it is, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a pretty, it's it's very much a uh, story that's repeated again and again in, in pop music everywhere around the world.
0: And I like their the report as well, uh, Chai and Fat and Sylvia's uh, report. Uh, it, it's fun to, to sort of follow that. She recognizes his uh, kindness his eye f- for the fact that she was nervous holding a speech at the charity event so he's not uh, being uh you know he's not trying to woo her in a sleazy way or anything and uh so th- that's all pleasant uh, s- simple gags like beyond uh, drinking before bed and uh, they pass out in a second all decent stuff but uh, it requires timing that that's simple gag and uh there is a good-natured feel across the movie, a broad feel, partly appealing stars who bring decent charisma, and it really does tick the boxes for the Lunar New Year. Fair, slightly better than most. Ah, I'm, I'm not sure. It's it is decent, but not exceptional. Exceptional as a Lunar New Year movie, I like, for instance, Eighth Happiness more, maybe because it's um, it manages to be so loony, in particular with Chai and Fat's performance, that I, I I tend to remember remember that. Uh, but uh, perhaps my favorite uh, movie with um uh, with uh, what's uh Wong Wang Quan Wang Yun is that it his name right uh, the uh, kid yeah. right uh, i i like the bit where they their delivery service too of course as a restaurant so they they i like the bit where they squeeze him in into the car with like tons and tons of food and they can barely close him you know, they they pack him in like Like these uh, guards at Japanese uh, subway stations packing passengers before closing the door, uh, before closing the door to the van. So even those moments, which are not uh, revolutionary comedic moments, there's a good rapid nature to the execution of it. So there are some standout things that uh, pop, you know. And uh, and I had fun with that. I had fun with the with the recurring gag of uh, the electricity. Therapy that the brother <laughs> commits to, and obviously you you, you you need to do a choreographed broad thing there, but I think that was all decently fun as well you know the you know the constantly twitching arm as he lays down the rules and smacks people as he passes because he can't stop twitching his arm after his uh. so those are some, some some of the things I remember out of the gags, even though it's not a movie that's dependent on constant gags or, or any gross-out humor or anything. So was there anything that uh, you felt stood out that was genuinely funny or it all sort of blends together as a pleasant, decent whole?
1: The whole thing with the restaurant, the Dong Dong Wonton Noodle place, uh, that was kind of fun, the whole thing about... And the, do- the dutiful... um Ah, uh, Butler, who follows him all the way around, and uh, that one he's played by a very uh, reliable again character actor who who I, you see more on TV at the time back in the day. So I grew up with watching that guy, so it was a good a familiar sight. It was a very uh, pleasant sight to see him again. Yeah, otherwise it's just a generally fun, entertaining uh, Chinese New Year comedy, which isn't that stellar like you said i mean Ape happiness is better and and um johnny toe has done obviously much better films but even talking about commercial comedy he's done better this is very much a throwaway film where you just watch it once and then maybe re- it reruns on tv and then you can watch it a little bit and you kind of laugh and then that's it it's very much a disposable film it's about as disposable as a don't don't want on noodles
0: you know do you remember personally uh, if you at one point really looked forward to luna new year films and then when you realize they aren't producing that much fun Lunar New Year films anymore then you stop looking forward to it or, or is there a little thing in you that says that I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they have to offer this year even if it's a disappointment in the end
1: well I was too young to know about release schedules when I was in Hong Kong when I was a kid in Hong Kong was 8 or 9 it was just like oh there's a new John fat film oh there's a new uh, Stephen Chow film oh there's a new whatever and that's it I don't think about release dates back then right but when I came back to Hong Kong it was fun to it's still fun to go to the movies during Chinese New Year, it's you want to buy tickets early, and it's still a big deal to watch films during Chinese New Year. Um, I still have fun doing it, and it's still a tradition here, at least even up to this year, because that happened before the pandemic, so or right before the pandemic uh, broke out. So I went to watch the Day of Wong film, and I watched um, a couple of New Year films, and I even suffered through also Endswell Twenty Twenty, which I still think it's probably the worst movie of the year, but yeah, it's still fun to look forward to uh, Chinese New Year and see what kind of big films are coming out. What
0: kind of feel um, would one find in a 2020 Hong Kong Lunar New Year movie? Is the formula sort of the same still? Uh, because it, it really is supposed to be.
1: No, I think that formula has either run dry or filmmakers just keep repeating the same stuff. So that is the problem with Oswald ends well 2020 is that it's it's pretty much repeating the same formula, but with worse stars. 20 years ago, we have, you know, we still have someone like, like a huge star like Chan Fat, or still have even the Louis Koo Chinese New Year film 10 years ago, right? But now it's Julian Chen <laughs> and, and Louis Chun and Chrissy Chow. And that's the idea of a Chinese New Year film. I'm like, guys, what what happened to the stars? I mean, it is, yes, it's Hong Kong's fault for not producing bigger stars, but it's like, If this is all that Raymond Wong can come up with in 2020 with his clout, then we're done. Like, I think the Chinese New Year film is dead because you can't have big stars and you can't afford the big stars to do it anymore.
0: It's almost like he wishes that maybe Stephen will return my call. I got a new All (laughs) Swell and Swell, but I think Stephen is both done with the All Swell and Swell movies. He did at least two, maybe three.
1: Stephen, Stephen is done with Hong Kong cinema. Let's face it. He's done with Hong Kong. He's done with Hong Kong. Period. You guys want to come work on a film? You guys are coming up to China to talk to me. Like, I'm not going to... like I'm not making Hong Kong... F- I will work with Hong Kong people. Like, I will ho- work with Hong Kong crew. But Hong Kong, like, cinema is dead to him.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I've enjoyed uh, the movies in the, in a general sense uh, that I've seen from him, uh, you know, with Mermaid. And um, uh, what was the next to last one he did? I mean, I saw The New King of Comedy, but there must have been... Uh, another one in between anyway but i enjoyed mermaid new king of comedy felt like one of these he wasn't planned he, he didn't plan it years in advance it seems like i'm gonna sleep over here and make a little uh new king of comedy and then i'll be back making choi-hak 3d madness
1: yeah new king of comedy was only made because mermaid 2 was delayed and he didn't have anything to deliver so so he just Jumped out and Hong Konged. It. He he Hong Konged it, essentially. That's what it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I mean so so I guess Hong Kong cinema isn't really dead to him. I mean he still works in that fashion, but he's like he's no longer interested in what Hong Kongers thinks about his films. I mean he will have his films dubbed in Cantonese for the Hong Kong market, but he's not gonna come to Hong Kong to do promotion. He will go as far as Shenzhen, which he's done. He's gone to Shenzhen to do you know audience meet and greets. But he won't even cross the border to come back up here and meet his audience. It's really weird. But anyway, I digress. I digress. I'm sorry.
0: But if it's, uh, if it's the the discussion, the Lunar New Year discussion, Stephen Chow's movies were very much a uh, tradition for for a while. I mean, uh, I'm sure he had a couple of new Lunar New Year movies in a row in that run in 1990 up to mid-90s, perhaps. And, and he certainly came back to do uh, some, some more towards the end of the millennium, even if they weren't as stellar as the, the original. All's well, and well, and all of that. Uh, so, uh, uh, I suppose my final note is that uh, even the hide under table force that they do here manages to be entirely likable. And, and as I said, they get they get a Nina Lee chi boob joke in there as they uh, build the human table, I suppose, and uh, her assets uh, manages to stick out, obviously. So, uh, family-friendly entertainment, Kevin. (laughs) Thunderlock and the Tycoon, it was meant for us to sort of lean back. And uh, after having to uh, deal with Election 1 and 2 and its serious implications, uh, we got to lean back and examine the less than serious uh, implications of a Lunar New Year film. And uh, I guess the serious implication is that it needs to make money. And uh, it uh, might not have made... uh, a ton of money being eighth place that year, but uh, it seems like it was pretty, uh, it, it, it was like a void uh, that year of uh, the Lunar New Year offering, if you will. So uh, that's uh, it for my notes. I'm going to throw it over to you to see if you want to share anything else about coming to America Hong Kong style.
1: <laughs> yes, when I watch um, older Hong Kong films, I like to look at the cast list or the crew list to see if there's any names that we recognize, so I recognize a few. Um, Chang Su Dong is the action choreographer of the film.
0: What did he do on the film? Did they do a little slide with a car at one point? I
1: maybe? think it's the car chase at the end of the film. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. Pretty much. I think so.
0: <laughs> Spoiler for a Lunar New Year movie, Kevin. Come on. <laughs>
1: they
0: they all do the greeting at the end, but in the, you know, which they normally do. They don't do it in this movie. They, uh, maybe they say Gong and Choi at one point, but they don't stop. Uh, the, the entire cast doesn't uh, take a bow at the end of the
1: movie or anything. Well, I mean, they were making films so quickly at that time, they did not even know when it's gonna be released, and it's just like, oh <laughs> forget it's our Chinese year. Yeah, whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Benny Chan produced the trailer or the 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 promotional film as they say in the credits, but I think that means the trailer. So this is before Benny Chan, the same year Benny Chan made a moment of romance, but this is still when he's um he's still a either co-director or assistant director. So he made he's still behind the scenes. Also the 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 credits, weirdly Credits Johnny Toe as the production designer.
0: It always occurred to me that that they, they they simply don't know how to do that credit in, in English. So I, I thought like, well, they mean producer, but he's not listed as producer. So what are they actually listing there?
1: Right in Chinese, it's essentially production planner. So imagine like a producer, but down, probably down and dirty and, you know, actually dealing with the production issues and things like that. So um, not really a producer who's like the money man or the one who just watches the film and say, I have notes. I think he's much more down and dirty in terms of the production because he's some TV. So, you know, this is what he does best, Uh, which is why I I had this. I, I had that theory about maybe one probably um uh directing a scene or two or half the film just to make the release schedule so so who knows but yeah um that's those are the three interesting things i noted
0: and uh, that's uh, us uh, the availability is very swift and easy because uh the fun the luck in the tycoon is available on dvd and blu-ray in hong kong it got a reissue either this year or last year so it's from a new new transfer and uh, all of that um from uh, one of the two companies that seems to be churning out these um well, they, they place it under the banner Hong Kong Classics. But you don't know what you're going to get. Because those two companies combined, uh, I think it's CN and Maya, or CN or Panorama. One week we might have a string of Category 3 movies under that banner, Hong Kong Classics. And while I'm appreciative, like hell, they're not all classic <laughs> classic movies. But they're, they've been out of circulation for so long, and that, that would include uh, this one. I think it had a... One of those uh, silver cases, Joy Sales uh, edition, and that's not easy to find. So now they put out, uh, put it out again in circulation in a new, uh, in a new uh, transfer, making this movie look the best it has ever looked. So go get the fun, the luck, and the tycoon uh, right now. These companies, I think, it, they differ in terms of the region coding. So, so I can't say if this is uh, ABC or region. Uh, what is it in Hong Kong? It's a region B for Blu-ray, I think. But regardless, uh, sometimes these uh, releases are region all so you can get them uh, even if you don't have a region free player but you really should get one because it is worth investment but at any rate uh, we are done for this uh, episode and the the contact information in all simplicity goes as follows for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com you'll find social media links itunes feed subscription links and relevant links uh, connected to this episode in the show post so that's uh, my plugs and i'm gonna throw over to to kevin as honorary co-producer co-host so plug as much as you like and you keep everything in your head that you've uh, been uh, working on for the last 12 months or some projects are gone from conscious memory.
1: <laughs> like I said, a lot of my films that I work on, are sort of stuck in a pipeline for so long, I forget what I've done and when they're coming out. But like I said in the beginning of the show, September Hong Kong story, uh, we'll be traveling on the festival circuit over the next year or so. Um, same for Hanro Cigarette, which I think will have very long legs. Um, especially after all the uh, nominations at the Golden Horse Awards. My Prince Edward and So Soak out on um, home video now, so please do get them. Um, in fact, My Prince Edward is the refined subtitle, so me and Director, we, finished, we managed to do another run before after the DCP was made, and we did one last run before the DVD Uh, subtitles were locked in so the dvd should be sort of a sort of a a refined version of the subtitle a polished version of the subtitles uh well my twitter is at the golden rock at the golden rock that's one word uh i am often on there yeah what else that's it
0: well you're a co-host of uh, east screen west screen that made its uh, resurgence uh, this year after paul fox finally eradicated his uh, tech Troubles. Uh, so um, I know there's some episodes you've done that are not at the time of recording released yet, including a um, a, a sort of R.I.P. Benny Chan uh, impromptu podcast uh, special. So I'm looking forward to yes. uh, to hearing that because uh, even if you don't watch anything beforehand, you can always screen the filmography and um, talk about your memories of uh, of the filmmaker at uh, at hand. So I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing that. Did you ever get to meet Benny Chan, by the way?
1: No, I, I never got to work on a film by him. Um, for about two seconds, I was I was being considered about working on Raging Fire, but that didn't work out for some reason. So I almost worked on a bandage hand film, and uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to now. I, I did do some... Uh, I, I did... Do translation for the teaser like a year ago and we were discussing possibly about subtitling the film but it didn't work out so i don't know who it went to
0: uh but uh, very cool thank you kevin and uh, sakatenmedia.com the link will be in the show post and uh, all of that good stuff so check out uh, kevin's endeavors but uh, in the meantime i've been um ken B, reviewing election two and the fun the luck in the tycoon with kevin maso say goodbye to, to the kind of people
1: thank you for having me on ken and uh, goodbye everyone